0: Welcome to the Powerline Podcast, the official podcast of Greystone Power. I'm your host, Adam Elrod. On this month's episode, we're taking a statewide view as we talk to the Georgia Public Service Commission Chairman, Tricia Pridemore about what the PSC does for our members and for the state. So let's jump right on in to episode number 15 of the Powerline Podcast. Today, we have a special guest. Usually, we interview Greystone employees and discuss how their work impacts you, our members. This month, we're going to take a look outside the co-op to talk to the chairman of the Georgia Public Service Commission, Tricia Pridmore. Commissioner Pridmore, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me.
0: Can you give our members a little background on what the PSC does and what the role of a commissioner is?
1: You bet. The Georgia Public Service Commission is one of the oldest, oldest agencies in state government, and our job is to regulate utilities and provide a balance between reliability within the utility system as well as uh, ratepayer rate value. Uh, we're looking to get the best possible return on investment for the ratepayer. So um, we work uh, differently with different utilities. Um, our jurisdiction for Greystone is we approve uh, creditworthiness and financing. Um, As for um, uh, Georgia Power, we regulate every aspect of their business. As the state's largest electric utility, um, we oversee generation, transmission, distribution, uh, the renewable portfolio, uh, as well as various operational management components of the company, and of course their financials. So we are primarily market and financial regulators. We're not environmental regulators. Um, We are first and foremost there to ensure the success and health of the company and the company's ability to deliver uh, their utility product to Georgians.
0: One thing our members probably hear a lot about, and you even kind of talked a little bit about it with the explanation of Georgia Power, is fuel mix. As a state, what does our fuel mix look like and what will it look like in the future?
1: Having a diversified portfolio in electricity, I believe, is critical not only to the long-term economic health of Georgia, um, but also to ensure that we've got a great balance and variable options for customers. Um, That includes a a broad suite of rate plans and different ways that customers can engage with Georgia Power, um, but also um, with how the electricity is generated. So we're a state that does not have a renewable portfolio standard, otherwise known as an RPS. Um, Several states like California, Oregon, Washington, New York State have RPSs on the books that mandate um, what uh, the utility can and cannot generate in terms of electricity. So we look at a diversified approach, which allows us to hedge against commodity markets as well as um, still implement new technology, but in a much more thoughtful and considerate way. So, our diversified portfolio mix in the state of Georgia, which um, not only affects Georgia power customers, but directly Graystone power customers, um, is hydro, natural gas, solar, and we participate in a wind tax credit through the state of Oklahoma. So, we de- definitely um, have a, f- a full portfolio of generation about. of our generation right now is natural gas, um, just because of the last 15 years of of low and dependable natural gas rates. Um, As of January of this year, though, we've seen a drastic uptick in the cost of natural gas. And so that's going to be reflected, unfortunately, on all of our bills as we head into the winter months, where we use more natural gas, not only for electrification purposes, but also natural gas to heat our homes. Um, We're very excited about the nuclear project at Plant Vogel. Our state um, depends on nuclear um, because it is a long-term investment into how a state can generate power. We have four live reactors currently, two at Plant Hatch and two at Plant Vogel. And there are two additional ones under construction uh, at Plant Vogel, one set to come online in the third quarter of 2022 and the fourth to come online in the second quarter of 2023. When those units are live and moved into uh, service, you're going to see 60 to 80 years of dependable 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year electricity. And uh, the output on those uh, will take our percentage of nuclear as a state from about 17% to about 26%. So as we look to potentially cleaner and greener energy sources like solar, um, doing so allows nuclear to provide that baseload balance. Solar's nice, but on a cloudy day like today, uh, and at night, solar doesn't generate anything for us. So we still need to be able to maintain reliability and keep the lights on. And with that, we have to depend heavily on base load energy. Baseload for us is made up primarily of nuclear, natural gas, and of coal.
0: So one piece of the fuel mix that you spoke of was solar, and Georgia is actually in the top 10 of states that have installed solar. What has been the key to this success, and what role has the PSC across the state played in this?
1: So when all electricity generation means, it is the PSC that is the ultimate decision maker. Where the companies come and they file their generation plans with us, we're the ones that decide. Um, and, and again, we're always trying to balance and weight the difference between cost and value with reliability and resiliency so that we have a great balance um, and, and dependability for our customers. So solar is a good story for Georgia. We're, I think, number nine right now in the country for it. It's primarily through utility scale solar, um, which provides uh, the utility companies a means to be able to um use solar as sort of a a force multiplier uh, within their portfolios. Um, It is more um, uh, cost beneficial on those larger projects because you can purchase real estate uh, cheaper. You can also uh, purchase supplies to be able to install it all cheaper. Um, So the state has always excelled in our solar portfolio with utility scale. Um, It's a way for us to move cleaner and into more renewable sources of power. Just in 2019, we approved a battery project, a storage project to go with solar, 85 megawatts. Um, I'm sorry, 80 megawatts. We just approved 65 of it to move into service, uh, leaving us another 15 megawatts. that will probably splice up between some major customers. Um, that's a means for us to test batteries and to see how effective they are and see how they're not only able to store excess energy off of the solar field, um, but also how it's dispatchable across the system. So be interesting to see the results of that and, and that, that project as it continues to grow. Um, next year, we'll look at uh, generation planning again, uh, which we every time we do it, we look at a 20 year scope. So I'll be interested to see kind of where we end up uh, between the commissioners and the company as to how much more we're gonna generate into solar. We have done so without a renewable portfolio standard. And um, we're at the PSC, we make energy policy every day. Um, uh, we, we tend to get very deep into these issues. And, uh, and with that, we just don't have a, a lot of, um, of interference by other outside government agencies and government bodies, um, talking with my colleagues in other states, that's how RPSs and some of the, the mandatory in California came to be is get all these different government bodies and politicians playing into something and not really looking deep into the issues and how to balance resiliency with cost. So um, uh, solar is a good story for us, but it's only one page of the story. I think that um, we'll probably see more solar growth, Um, but, but I hope it's in the utility scale just because it's such a better value for the customer.
0: You actually went right on into my next thought was the value up to the ratepayer? Like at Greystone, we have, in fact, on our brand new campus, we have a one megawatt solar field that members can buy into for cooperative solar. And we have solar in our portfolio. What do you, What is that value that it brings to the ratepayers when you have these type of large scale um, solar fields?
1: So, a utility-scale solar project, we purchased that at below avoided cost. Avoided cost is a formula that's that's derived between all of the costs of other types of generation, and keeps into account the cost of fuel. Knowing that you don't have fuel to consider for solar, um, it, it does yield itself to provide a, a pretty good value for customers. But the other side of that, though, is um, you don't necessarily get the uh, the benefits when fuel costs. Drop. Over the last 15 years, the state has enjoyed very low natural gas prices. And that's meant that over the last 15 years, we've returned in credit back to customers um, because we've been able to benefit from these low natural gas prices. Um, I'm hoping that that's possible in 2021, but considering how much they've went up and, and kind of looking at market trends, I would be very surprised if that was the case. Um, but solar does have a value in that. It also provides us with the means to provide more cleaner uh, energy into the system. And um, if we see policies out of Washington and pressure coming out of politicians up there uh, to be able to force states into um, cleaner energy sources, you know, this gives us a a great opportunity to be ready to plan for that and to be prepared um, should those, those dictates come.
0: I think that is a great explanation of what the value is there, and you know, one issue that I know that you're spearheading is to help consumers differentiate with reputable solar providers and the not so reputable, probably more shady, solar providers when they're doing maybe more rooftop solar when it's not the large scale ones, and the fight to keep the latter out of Georgia or taking advantage of Georgians. Could you explain exactly what is happening in these situations and what you would like to see done in this area?
1: So this originally came to my attention because um, I I was on Instagram uh, to see pictures of my nieces and nephews. And I started getting served these ads um, trying to get me to sign up for these solar programs, promising me free electricity for life. And also telling me that I could turn my roof into a profit center for my house. And that all I had to do was buy these solar panels and have them installed on my roof. And then I would be selling, I'd be generating electricity and selling it back to my electric provider. Now, I'm not served by Greystone EMC. I am served at my house by another EMC. And um, I-, I knew for a fact uh, that my EMC didn't have any program like that. Um, and I-, I know pretty much about everything about Georgia Power's rate structure. So I know they didn't have one either. Um, so I just started looking around. And before I knew it, the the Instagram, Facebook and social media, um, the-, the qualifiers that are used to serve ads to us based upon our interests, um, just... Hit, I found myself in just a deluge of these ads, and, and they were very specific about different power companies, mentioning them by name, mentioning different utilities by name, rates by name, things that I knew was not only false and misleading advertising, but misrepresentation of the companies. And so um, I started reaching out to different utilities across the state, sending them the ads that I was getting. Um, and then, of course, I reached out to some of the folks in the solar industry and asked them what they were doing to police these, these bad actors and figure out who they were. Um, and, and so it's just sort of snowballed from there. Um, I've received hundreds of complaints from people from across Georgia that have been approached either at their front door or over the phone or on social media with this type of advertising knowing for a fact that what they're really seeking is nine to $10,000 in upfront costs from a homeowner, that the homeowner doesn't even know that it's gonna generate any electricity based upon the pitch of their roof, based upon the tree line, or that they're even allowed to have it because of their homeowners association. So there are so many factors to consider before you decide to put solar on your roof. And for folks that it's right for, well, great. Uh, But also know that with that, it's going to not just be the responsibility of the solar panels, but you still have a responsibility to the utility that serves you. That utility is responsible for getting you electricity at night and on cloudy days like today. Um, They're also going to be responsible for any power that you get back to them in the system. And that comes up in transmission and distribution costs. So there is no such thing as a free lunch. And in this case, there is no such thing as free solar.
0: I appreciate that answer and what you're doing to keep those bad actors, as you said, out of the uh, out of Georgia. So I'll ask every single guest the same exact last question. I thought it still would be fitting, even though we're outside of Greystone, as our guest today. Anything else you'd like to tell our members?
1: Well, I, I hope that your members know that they are served by a quality EMC. Our state is fortunate to have 41 EMCs within our footprint. 38 of which uh, purchased gener- generation transmission distribution uh, throughout the rest of the state partners, including Georgia Power and MEAG members. Uh, those that border the state of Tennessee are part of the TBA. But there at the commission, we work very closely with the EMCs. Um, just last year, we worked on a case to protect uh, your pocketbooks and, and, and your rates at Greystone EMC uh, about the cost to attach to an EMC electric pole. And where cable and telecom companies were seeking a an unreasonable, in my opinion, $7 per pole per year attachment fee Um, I spent six months on the road looking at power poles across the state of Georgia, some in your Greystone EMC territory, and realized very quickly that it was indeed the telecommunications and cable providers that were not taking care of your EMC's assets. And so, um, uh, along with my commissioners, my fellow four commissioners, um, we voted unanimously Uh, to uh, allow EMCs to charge telecom and cable providers $26 to attach to those poles. And we set some very strict guidance about how they do the attachments and what their responsibility is not only in paying the EMC, but also in making sure they're not damaging that property. Um, Those poles are assets that are owned by you, Greystone EMC members. And the better taken care of that they are and the cleaner that those attachments are and the, the way that you're able to get a true um, uh, recoup of the, the dollars and the value to the telecom company to attach to those poles is saving you money. And so I hope that uh, when you drive uh, to the grocery or to work in your Greystone territory and you see power poles, take a look at them. I tell everybody to respect the poll. They're so critical to our lives and whether or not that we need power to be able to fuel our home or a business or a school. um, The importance of protecting power poles and making sure that everybody that uses that public asset owned by Greystone EMC members uh, is doing so at the best possible value to you.
0: Chairman Proudmoore, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today and just all this information for our members.
1: Well, it's great to be here, Adam. Thanks so much. And I hope that you and the entire Greystone EMC membership have a great day.
0: Well, that is all the time we have today. Thank you so much for joining us for episode number 15 of the Powerline Podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you get each new episode directly into your podcast feed. And make sure you rate us five stars as well so others will see it pop up in their podcast feeds also. This has been the Powerline Podcast. Thanks for listening.